Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast today in Beijing. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. China surprised experts by posting its first trade deficit in 13 months, meaning the country imported more than it exported in March. Analysts attribute the results partly to distortion caused by the Lunar New Year holiday when factories and offices are closed. Despite the overall trade deficit, China's surplus with the U.S. soared, with some economists saying exporters were seeking to get out shipments ahead of upcoming tariffs to countries have threatened. Meanwhile, President Xi Jinping promised lower tariffs on car imports, harsher punishments for intellectual property rights violators, and a faster opening up of China's financial sector, in a speech seen by analysts as an olive branch to U.S. President Donald Trump to ease bilateral trade tensions. And the long-discussed policy of loosening restrictions on foreign investors' shareholding in car manufacturing joint ventures and other sectors, such as aircraft and ship manufacturing, will be implemented, quote-unquote, as soon as possible, he said. Currently, foreign companies are required to tie up with a local partner to make vehicles in China, with their ownership capped at 50%. A second allegation of sexual misconduct has been leveled against a former professor at Beijing's prestigious Peking University, the professor was previously accused of raping a student before she committed suicide 20 years ago. Xu Hongyun, a former student at the Beijing Forestry University, told Caixin that Shen Yang, now 62, made unwanted physical contact with her in his car around 2006, when Xu was considering applying for a doctoral student position with Shen. Multiple people have accused Shen of assaulting female student Gao Yan, who entered Peking University in 1995, and died at the age of 21 in 1998. Gao's case attracted national attention after a former classmate published a blog post denouncing Shen in the wake of the global Me Too movement, which has resulted in accusations against other Chinese academics. Beijing has unveiled long-awaited guidelines to allow out-of-towners to apply for full access to the capital's public services. But the points-based system the city is implementing, reminiscent of that used to evaluate immigrants in some developed countries, has left the public with some trepidation. 
Beijing did not say how many points residents will need to earn, but workers from outside the capital must first meet basic requirements regarding their age, criminal record, and contribution to the local social security fund. The household registration, or hukou system, was designed in the 1950s to restrict the flow of people from rural to urban areas and from small to large cities, as residency was tied to access to benefits, such as monthly rations. As the economic reform in the 1970s took hold, the system could no longer prevent people from moving around the country, but it still limits non-locals' access to services such as public schools. The system has come under renewed debate in recent years, as Beijing grapples with problems linked to its huge population, such as traffic congestion, pollution, and pressure on resources. Four popular Chinese news apps, including top news aggregator Jinyu Toutiao, have been removed from major mobile app stores. The latest regulatory blow amid the country's tightening scrutiny over online content. The mobile app of Toutiao, along with smaller rivals Tiantian Kuaibao, NetEase News, and iPhone News, are no longer available on several app stores for Android users in China. In late March, the media watchdog banned online parodies and adaptations that are based on copyrighted content, a rising business model for many video streaming sites. On the heels of this, a slew of major Chinese social media platforms have swiftly removed content deemed to quote violate core socialist values close quote as authorities tighten their grip on online content. The enormous removal of content across Chinese social media has come at a time when social media platforms have grown wildly in the past few years, while raw posts of things such as teen pregnancy and sexually suggestive humor have gone untamed for a long time. China's Twitter-like Weibo, the popular messaging apps QQ and WeChat, as well as nearly all of China's popular video sites, have said they will either remove inappropriate content or restrict video playbacks on their platforms. After U.S. workspace provider WeWork said it will acquire one of its China-based rivals, Naked Hub, Chinese competitors YouCommune vowed to take its own M&A action. YouCommune foresees major moves on the M&A front from our side in the near future, said founder and chairman Mao Daqing in response to the WeWork purchase. WeWork's acquisition of Naked Hub will help it increase its presence in China. Naked Hub, launched in 2015. Has 26 locations in Shanghai, Beijing, and Hong Kong. Social media giant Tencent is looking at the burgeoning Wi-Fi business on China's fast-running bullet trains in hopes of extending its access to the massive data of urban travelers. A vice president at Tencent told Caixin Thursday that the company will bid for a stake in Bullet Train Networks, an onboard Wi-Fi provider wholly owned by state railroad operator CRC. CRC recently revealed plans to sell a 49% stake of Bullet Train Networks in its latest effort to bring in private money to cut down on mounting debt. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to some of Caixin Global's editors to talk about some of the more noteworthy stories in the news this week. First up is Joshua Drummer, editor at Caixin Global. Josh,、uh, this is an interesting item. We've got AI-powered robots and uh, banking. Uh, Bank tellers being replaced.、Uh, tell us what is this all about? So China's second largest lender, the China Construction Bank, has opened its what it claims to be China's first fully automated bank branch in、uh, Shanghai. The branch has no human employees apart from two human volunteers who were just there for the first two weeks,、uh, but it does have two robots. Who will answer simple questions for you and guide you towards、um, some of the bank's machines?、Uh, one of which is a machine to exchange foreign currency, which does actually appear to be a genuine innovation. So you don't have to deal with a, a human being when you want U.S. dollars.、Uh, no, no people at all. Then not even like a, a supervisor or a manager there. You've got to 
put in your ID card and go through a facial scanner to get in. So I suppose that plays the role of the security guard. And um, I mean, I don't know what kind of manager a, a robot needs, right? It's not going to be taking too long smoke breaks or anything like that. So, so do these robots look like humans? Are, are they humanoid or, or and, and do they talk and all of that? So yeah, they, they're humanoid robots. They have um, female faces. Uh, they carry around these sort of tablets and you can sort of jab at the, at the tablets and you can uh, put your bank cards into them so that you can get more personal information. But the story says that they can only really answer simple questions. And if you ask them anything too difficult, they'll say, why are you asking me that? I'm just a little girl, which is both, I would say, sexist and creepy. Unfortunately, our story doesn't have any video attached, uh, which is a shame because you can't really get a sense of exactly how off-putting these robots' voices are. They're very squeaky. They sound like little girls, but not nice little girls. So who are they targeting here, and why are they actually doing this, and is there a plan to roll this out maybe nationally or regionally? The bank hasn't really made any kind of big statements about, okay, are they going to be rolling this out more widely? Um, Like, they really haven't said, why are they doing this? But uh, our reporter who went down there said that there were actually people who would refuse to go in, older people, because they were kind of, I guess they thought that the bank just wasn't for them, because they don't know how to interact with robots. But then... Younger people in general don't go to banks, generally speaking. So the actual, one of the biggest growth areas in the CCB, the China Construction Bank's business, is personal consumer loans, which jumped by like 157% last year. But almost all of that came from online platforms. So unrelated to this then? Totally unrelated to physical robots, only, you know, computer robots who who do run these online platforms. So it's not exactly clear who would have this before. And and there was something in that story about VR to virtual reality, right? Oh, yes. So (laughs) one of the other services that the bank offers in its, you know, push to impress you with high tech is there's a, a virtual reality room in which you can sit on a chair and wear a virtual reality headset, which allows you to virtually experience the interior of a home. So you can leave your house, go to the bank, and then sit in a virtual house at the bank. So I don't really know who that who's who's that for. I suppose it's meant to promote their sort of home leasing business and, and stuff like that, but it doesn't sound like a good video game. Well, Josh, we're going to have to check in with you about this again and see whether the robots have actually gone rogue or uh, discovered to their regret that they're abetting not only in the destruction of jobs, but also in the perpetuation of ghastly sexist stereotypes. All right, guys, it was very nice to speak to you. So next up is Doug Young, managing editor at Caixin Global. Uh, so, Doug, we've got a story about Didi Chuxing, uh, one of China's big internet companies, which is expanding now outside of China. What's going on here? Uh, the story here is uh, interesting that uh, Didi is, for the first time, taking its show on the road, so to speak, and uh, they're getting ready to launch a service in Mexico. So sort of right on Uber's doorstep or whatever you want to call it. And this is an interesting story because this is actually the first time Didi has taken their own name, their own operation and expanded it outside China. Up till now, Didi has really just been a China-only show. You don't have Didi anywhere else in the world, at least that brand of service and operated by Didi, the company. So this is it's a fairly bold move. I mean, Mexico is probably not a hotly contested market, but Uber's there. And apparently Didi's planning in typical Chinese fashion to undercut Uber in terms of its commission rates, at least for the first few months of its service. 
So briefly, we don't have to get into too much detail here, but uh, have they done this go-it-alone approach before in the past, or is this the first time? In the past, they exclusively had really gone with uh, local partners. Uh, they did a, a partnership with the U.S. company called Lyft pretty early on, and then they've invested in in other companies, uh, and that's been sort of their entree into other markets. So there's a big Southeast Asian one called Grab that I, they invested in, and then uh, they've also done something in Brazil with a local partner, and Kareem in the Middle East. So they've taken a, a few steps out, but it's always, it's sort of similar to Alibaba, you know, and, uh, maybe some of these other Chinese companies, there's a little bit of uncertainty about doing stuff yourself. So it's much easier just to invest in a local partner. But, you know, the problem when that happens is, is you're sort of more of a passive investor and you're not one of Uber's big advantages, especially for international travelers, was that people could use their Uber app anywhere in the world. Uh, you know, Didi doesn't get any of those synergies and, and it doesn't get any of the operational oversight. Uh, you know, these are all managed by the local partners. Uh, so by doing this in Mexico, I, I presume in theory, someone from China traveling to Mexico could use their Didi app to hail a car in Mexico. And that wasn't possible with any of these other partners. Uh, the other story you've got is about a chip company and an individual who I don't actually know much about. Uh, give us the lowdown. What is the significance of this particular silicon magnate uh, retiring? Yes. It's a very symbolic gesture. There's a, a company here in China called Tsinghua Unigroup based at Tsinghua University. And the guy who has been at the head, his name is uh, Zhao Weiguo. Uh, he joined Unigroup about five years ago. And, and surprise, surprise, shortly after his joining, or right around the time of his joining, uh, Unigroup has just embarked on this, this huge microchip investment spree. And that includes building chip production plants here in China, but it also includes this really ambitious uh, overseas acquisition spree, which really was a bit of a failure because most of the, the deals that Zhao was, was chasing got vetoed because uh, of, na usually because of national security uh, concerns. So going back to the original, this guy Zhao is retiring. And I think you know, a lot of people will see this retirement as sort of symbolic because Unigroup wasn't the only company that was doing this. A lot of other Chinese companies, a lot of them were chip funds. They were like these sort of hazy, murky, you're not really sure what the background is, funds uh, were also trying to buy up foreign semiconductor microchip assets. And these are the chips that power everything from, you know, microwave ovens to PCs and smartphones. They're very common around. And there was this huge Chinese attempt to buy a lot of companies and, and a lot of the, the big ones especially got vetoed. So this guy's retirement essentially seems to be indicating, you know, China may be throwing in the towel or, or at least sort of preparing to admit defeat on this this global buying binge. So the putative reason for his, his retirement, for his resignation, was that uh, his workload was just too much, yeah? Uh, is this one of those, I need to spend more time with my family kinds of excuses? Well, that was the excuse that he gave. Who knows? I mean, he said, he gave this sort of cryptic message saying, you know, work has just been too busy. But clearly, this was an ambitious guy. Uh, in my mind, he was like a real deal maker, you know, and if you're a deal maker 
and trying to do all these deals and you keep getting shot down for political reasons, that's probably going to discourage you a little bit. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this guy pops up at another company, you know, again, as sort of a deal maker type, but maybe in a less sensitive area. Just to go back to the original point, the, the, the reason the whole power behind this big drive, not by just Unigroup, but all these Chinese companies and funds that I was talking about, is really Beijing. And it's the central government in China. They want China to try and build up its microchip industry because right now it has to import most of its chips. So the idea was that they were providing all this money to these funds and to Unigroup to go out and, and buy global chip companies. And well, the global sellers were willing, but the the governments, local governments, weren't willing to give up their you know U.S. or European chip companies to these Chinese buyers. Doug, thanks as always for the update, and we will talk to you again next week, man. Okay, thanks, Kaiser. That's this week's show. The Taishin Syndicate Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo. With stories from the staff of Taishin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out our current affairs show, Sinica, as well as the new GGV996 podcast on tech in China. And follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at SupChina.com. Take care.